The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Okay, the buzzword today is work. Is it an aha or an arg? Are you working hard or hardly working, as the old saying goes? Well, today we're seeing a massive shift in how people work due to the co-impact. I just coined that word, so give me a little bandwidth here. I coined the word co-impact of big data, mobile, cloud, and social media, all of those together. Are you feeling it yet? I asked three experts, and here's what they say. Alan Lepofsky from Constellation RG says, and I quote, New technologies such as in-memory database, mobile, and cloud are transforming the way people work. We're going to talk with Alan about something called STM Social Task Management and a lot more than that. Alan has an early departure, so we're going to get his predictions before the crystal ball segment. I'll remind myself to do that. Alan, we'll talk to you in a moment. Richard Edwards from Ovum, new to the show, says, often using their own mobile devices and free-to-use cloud-based community collaboration solutions. Today's employees are applying their consumer persona, I have to ask them about that, and their experiences in the workplace and the field, changing the way the job gets done, and guess what? Results are achieved. We're going to ask Richard to expand on that. Very interesting. I want to know about consumer persona and experiences in the workplace. And we're welcoming Kijon Lee today from SAP, and he says, every now and then, we see a truly disruptive technology emerge. In-memory database is one of these. This technology will change the face of business. And here's the kicker, kids. Transform how millions of people work and live. Yes, that's why we're here on Game Changers Radio. Kijun was recently invited to the White House. We're going to find out all about that exciting experience. So stick with me for the next hour for more insights on changing how you work. Big data, social, and mobile collide and converge. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to another edition, actually our 52nd edition, and today is almost our one-year anniversary on the Business Channel. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Hey, tweet us during the show at... Hashtag SAP Radio. Visit us for the archives. And you can get your own ultimate coffee break mug at SAPGameChangersRadio.com. And now I'd like to introduce my guests briefly just so we can hear their voices, and then we're going to go back into the opening and find out what they meant in their quotes. Alan Lepofsky has been on the show before, but he was on our In the Cloud with Game Changers program. So I'm welcoming him to Coffee Break. Alan is Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, Inc. As a lead analyst on Constellation's research, theme, The Future of Work, 
Alan focuses on how enterprise collaboration software and social business software can help people get work done. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. Welcome, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Bonnie, and then our other guests. I'm uh, actually in sunny California today as opposed to my Toronto home, so I'm enjoying uh, being here. Wonderful. We're going to get to you in just a minute. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for coming back and for taking the leap across the pond and, well, the pond, the, the radio pond and coming on our other show. Richard Edwards, principal analyst at Ovum, the knowledge worker remains the primary focus of his research stream. He covers enterprise collaboration, knowledge management, social business, and the consumerization of corporate IT. Welcome, Richard Edwards. How are you today? Good afternoon to you, or perhaps good morning where you are. I'm, uh, I'm in not quite so sunny London, but it's not raining. Okay, good. And I'm in not at all sunny Long Island, New York, and it's almost raining. So we'll trade weather reports in a little while. Looking forward to speaking with you. And let's welcome our third panelist, Kijon Lee. He's a vice president of technology and innovation marketing at SAP. He's responsible for a portfolio of new applications addressing big data challenges and connecting enterprises to consumers in key industries, including retail, sports, media, and entertainment. Kijon, welcome to SAP Radio. How are you today? Doing well, Bonnie. Great to be on the show. Good. Thank you for joining us. Okay, let's deep, deep dive back into my monologue, talk about our very interesting quotes. Alan Lepofsky, you said, new technologies such as in-memory database, mobile, and cloud are transforming the way people work. Give me the baseline here, Alan. Exactly what is this transformation? How would you describe it briefly and then expand, please? Sure thing. So the biggest change that's happening is the tool sets that we're using. Employees used to come to work every day and, you know, you had your standard email client. Some advanced people did instant messaging maybe. You know, they took that from their home lives to their work life. Uh, and people, you know, spent their day creating office type of documents, word processing and spreadsheets and things. And now we've certainly seen a shift. Uh, at work to people using tools more similar to the, the tools they use in their personal lives, the social networks like LinkedIn and, and Facebook and things like this. Mm-hmm. They're using those at work. And what's starting to happen is that through things like you know the, the in-memory databases that can do analytics really quickly, they can analyze information much faster than the, the old style, these social networks at work are able to start predicting information for us. They're starting to do things like recommend which employees we engage with or which Mm. customer accounts are in the most need of our attention or which files are trending or which communities they should join. So it's not just a shift, you know, away from email to social networking that a lot of people talk about, but it's a shift away from just ambiguously kind of going through your inbox one document at a time to now being able to focus on the things that really need your attention. I'm going to ask you a quick question before we move on to Richard's sure. quote. Alan, uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, which was not that long ago, social networking, social media, now we call it social business, was something your employer tried to keep you away from at work. What? You're on Facebook. What? You're on Twitter. Get back to work. When did we see a shift where it became part of the work issue, well, part of the work, ways of working, shall we say? When? How, how long ago or how recently was that, Alan? Well, in some ways, it hasn't happened for every organization yet. I think we're still on the cusp of this, but this is nothing new. We saw the same thing happen. You know, Unfortunately, I've been doing this long enough that I remember when email started to become the big thing, and we moved off of like mainframe email systems to you know, some of the client-server email systems like Lotus Notes and Domino and Microsoft Exchange. And I remember when those were all coming in, and people thought they were time wasters. And then we all had AOL chat that we used at home, and then all of a sudden we started to get things like um, – 
uh, instant messaging inside the organization, and people worried, oh, aren't people just going to talk all day? But slowly businesses come around to the realization that these tools can actually help you know, employees get information quicker. They can answer questions for each other. And the same thing's starting to happen with social networking, where instead of the fear of, oh, aren't people just going to go on there and, you know, share animal pictures or talk about their lunch. Employers are starting to understand that a lot of time saving can happen in the course of specific business processes. It's not just about an open free-for-all water cooler where people can talk. It's about mm-hmm. how does the sales and marketing team rally around an opportunity faster? Or how does the support organization get an answer from an engineer or a product manager quicker than just sending an email and waiting? What if they could have an open forum where they could ask that question and anybody can answer? Uh, you know, so it's finding the specific reasons for using it is what the fundamental shift is. A year or two ago, everybody just talked about oh, I think we want a Facebook at work. And now you have a fundamental shift in the way vendors are talking about it, analysts are talking about it, towards the reason you want these tools is to enhance the business processes that run your company. And there's a lot of value in that versus just having a Facebook at work. Thank you. I'm going to say two things. Number one, if you can't beat them, join them. That might be part of the way management is thinking. <laughs> Number two, I'm going to do a shout-out to our audience. Most of our audience listens on demand, which is interesting. But I'm going to say if you're listening to the show, we're just in the first nine minutes here. If you are interested in using social media and more email and more instant messaging, Facebook, LinkedIn at work, you have to listen to the whole show because you might figure out a way to go back to your boss and say, this is good stuff. Stop telling me to stop. So there's a little shout-out. We're going to Thank you, Ellen. We're going to turn to Richard Edwards from Ovum. Richard, you said often using their own mobile devices, so that's consumerization of IT, and free-to-use cloud-based community collaboration solutions. Employees are applying their consumer persona and experiences in the workplace and field, changing the way the job gets done and results are achieved. So, Richard, I'd like you to talk to me about the idea of employees applying their consumer persona to the workplace. Sounds great. I've been saying that all along. Every person in a management position in a selling position is a consumer in their own right, and there's got to be a collision there somewhere. So, Richard, what are you thinking? Talk to me about your quote, please. Well, I think you've picked up on it there, Bonnie. Um, Every employee within the enterprise, whether that's a 50 or 100,000 person employer or even the uh, 20-person employer, all of those employees are first and foremost consumers. Um, When we get in in the morning, some of us might be thinking about uh, super exciting technology, but most folk are thinking about how they can get the day's work done and get home on time for dinner uh, for once in a while. And to achieve that, we're starting to use some of those technologies, some of them that Alan just mentioned, to get the job done. And this is really being driven, I think, by underinvestment by many organizations in those collaboration solutions that, that help people get the job done. And maybe that's been because in the past, those collaboration solutions have been IT projects. They've not mm-hmm. been driven by the employees themselves. So I think we're seeing quite a significant change here in um, you know, the, the IT landscape of the future. 
Okay, tell me something. Do you think that this floodgate of ideas and, and social task management, as we're going to talk to Alan about later, do you think the floodgate happened when big companies started realizing that people wanted to bring their own mobile devices into the workplace, what we now call consumerization of IT? Do you think that's when their personalities, their tablets, their cell phones, their smartphones, that's when this shift started and management had to say, hmm, we better listen to them? Is that when you think it happened? I think this has been happening, happening slowly but steadily for, for a good five years. Um, issues relating to the uh, security of, of the Windows XP operating system meant that businesses had to lock down their enterprise desktops. And in so doing, uh, I think we sort of ended up with these devices that are on our desks and in front of us that actually don't enable us to get the job done. And, you know, those who do get exposed to um, useful uh, consumer-grade technologies are sort of thinking, well, you know what, I might only be left with a, um, a web browser, but I can use that web browser to get things done and to get things done in a way that are super efficient um, and effective and maybe just get home on time. And that's vitally important when we think about many organizations who've been downsizing the workforce, so many of us are perhaps undertaking roles and responsibilities that we wouldn't have had five years ago. So maybe we're doing two or even three jobs, uh, and how does yes. one fit all of those activities into a single day? Very good. And I'm going to come back to you when we start the roundtable in a minute and ask you about what we used to call work-life balance. We're now calling work-life integration, and I hear a thread of that in your comments. Thank you, Richard. Kijun, you're going to help me go out to the break. We have two minutes left. Tell me something. You say every now and then we see a truly disruptive technology emerge in memory databases, one of these. This will change the face of business and transform how millions, I'm going to say even billions of people work and live. So how is it changing? Millions of people work and live. That's a big statement, Kijun. What are you thinking? Sure, just to set some context and background. So for a few decades now, companies are limited by databases that ran on spinning disk, right, which resulted in performance bottlenecks. And, and the reality is we live with it, and we found work, uh, ways to work around it. So if you look at analyzing data, companies typically have two different databases, one for storing transactions, and they pull that data into another database for analytics. Even then, you're talking about hours, if not days, to analyze large data sets. But if you look at the world today, we're dealing with lots of data, big data coming from multiple different sources. But luckily or thankfully, we have this perfect storm of factors mm -hmm. that have come into play. You know, memory prices have come down significantly over the past number of years, hardware right. innovation, and you know, being able to compress data significantly. So we're now actually able to put the entire database inside memory or inside RAM, which results in tremendous performance increase. Just to put this into perspective, we're talking about 100,000 uh, increase in speed that companies are experiencing today with a memory database. Now, imagine you know, flying from New York to Paris in three-tenths of a second versus the hours that it takes today, what wow. that means for life and transportation, just to put an uh, analogy into this. So if you look at the ability to analyze a type of big data in seconds versus hours and days, that can transform business, how we operate. The clock speed of business would just fundamentally change. And that affects consumers as well because businesses can now interact with consumers in real time, really understand who they are, what they're doing at this moment, right, and being able to target offers, recommendations, and engage the consumers into one-to-one -one way. That's one way that I believe consumers, will, their lives will change. 
Thank you. You know what? We're going to save the rest of your comments for our roundtable, which starts after the break. So thank you for taking me up to our break. When we come back, everybody knows what's coming next. We're going to do the coffee break segment. We're going to ask Alan Lepofsky from Constellation, Richard Edwards from Ovum, and Kijan Lee from SAP. What are you drinking today? Is there anything to do with your time zone or the weather? Is it just your favorite? Margo is tweeting for us. We're going to ask her. She's got a surprise coffee break drink. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. Get your mug at SAP Game changersradio.com we'll be right back with a lot more today's topic how is it changing how you work we'll be right back brad out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision making in real time no matter where they are sap and sybase and sap company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to sap systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, I think that's a great idea. Let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome back. Let's find out what my esteemed guests are drinking today. Is it real or is it fantasy? I don't care as long as it's interesting. Alan Lepofsky, <laughs> what? where are you, first of all? Exactly where are you? I know you're running from meeting to meeting to meeting. That's the way you, that's the way you roll. Uh, Alan, what are you drinking today? What's fun in your cup? Uh, I am drinking a rather expensive orange juice from the hotel bar, <laughs> mini bar inside my room. So <laughs> that is my that is my morning beverage at the moment. I haven't had time to leave the room. I love it. I wish you fresh squeezed with a little bit of fresh mint leaves in it on your next orange juice trip. Cheers. That sounds great. And let's talk to Richard Edwards from London. What are you drinking today, Richard? Well, even though I'm out of town for me, uh, I always bring a, a couple of uh, Yorkshire tea bags with me. Um, the taste of home, those leaves picked from the uh, lower valleys of, of Bradford and Bingley. So uh, good old Yorkshire tea for me today. And what kind of a cup are you drinking? And I know the Brits love to talk about the cup and the thickness well, of, of the it's, china. Uh, it's, it's not a cup. No, it's an over mug. Um, so oh. it's um, more efficient that way. I only need to sort of fill it once and that will take me through the morning. Oh, nice. Well, we have to get you an SAP official Game Changers mug, Richard. You're going to love it, too. I look forward to receiving that, hopefully. Both of them. You will. Don't worry. Carrier Pigeon will bring it to you at the clock speed of business. Kijun Lee, speaking of clock speed of business, what are you drinking today? I actually have two cups in front of me. I have black coffee and green tea. Okay. Which one did you drink first? Black coffee. That's what I typically drink, but (laughs) feeling a little underweather today, so... Had a dose of tea as well. And, is there a, br- a brand? Is that a, a com- Is that like an extra d- super duper shot of caffeine, or uh, do you just like both? Well, typically I stick with coffee, but yeah, 
feeling under the weather of... today. Okay. Oh, well, I'm glad you joined us, and I hope you feel better. Let's kick off. Thank oh, you. wait a minute. We, You're welcome. We have a tweet here from Margo, our beautiful Margo, who is tweeting for us today, and she says, I'm drinking Cafe Tinto. My hubby just returned from a week playing concerts in Medellin, Colombia, with some real coffee. We want to hear more about oh. that, and congratulations to him on his trip. And that's Colombia with two O's, so we know where it was. Sounds great, Margo. Okay, and Malcolm, that's of course, is somewhere drink. Doesn't that sound interesting? And Malcolm is somewhere drinking Equator coffees, but he couldn't be with us today. So, Keishun, let's kick off. You were talking about how uh, in-memory database is changing the way millions of people work and live, and you said something very indicative of, of, I think, the tone of our conversation. You talked about the clock speed of business has changed. So let's continue your topic we left off just before the end of the first segment, and you'll kick off our roundtable for us. Clock speed of business. Do we know what it used to be and what is it today? How do you measure that clock speed? Anything you sure. want to talk about. Sure, and I about. think the best way to kind of bring this life is through a few examples. And I'll give you mm-hmm. an example from the, the retail industry. Today, yes. if you're talking about big data, they're dealing with big data. They have been for years now. They're dealing with point-of-sale data, transactions from shoppers, what they purchase, uh, what they buy in each store. Also, they're dealing with mobile location data, social media data, tons of other data sources. Now, when a shopper comes in, you know, typically what happens today is after they leave, the retailer is able to analyze what they bought and send them a, a promotion, let's say a coupon, mm-hmm. right, and engage the consumer. Now, with in-memory database, what you can actually do is as the shopper is in the store, in the aisle, looking at a certain product, right, based on the location, time of day, time of week, and who that person is in the preference, right, the retailer can analyze all that data compared to other consumers, right, Mm-hmm. recommend the best promotion or offer and to upsell different products as well. Right? So from a consumer perspective, it's a personalized engagement from the retailer, which they haven't really had before, as they're about to make a decision. Right? I'll give you another example. We have a yes. F1 racing team that wants to use our in-memory database technology to use it in race. As a race, cars, as a race is happening, they want to take the sensor data and use that data to predict the performance outcome of the race cars. Now, before, it took them about four or five hours to do this. That's after the game. Now, mm-hmm. with this memory data technology, they can actually change the course of the game and change um, their strategy as the race is going on because it takes seconds now versus uh, four or five hours. Right? Um- Yes, amazing, amazing. And, and I'm hearing two different stories. I'm hearing that uh, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say the consumer standing in the aisle of the store really mm-hmm. doesn't care what the retailer's doing as long as they get the best service, the best product, the best price, the best attention, and they go home with something wonderful for their use or for a gift or for their kids or whatever it is. So in one case, they really don't care what's going on behind the scenes. In the other, the people on the boat really, really do care because they're relying on it at that moment in time to change how they work. So I think we have two, exactly. two different contexts here. I want to bring in Alan Lepofsky. You, you study social task management. I don't know if you want to bring that into the conversation now. But you also, I know, wanted to talk about in-memory. From your perspective, do you agree with everything that Kijona said? And anything you want to add about the speed of data, Alan? Uh, well, absolutely. So the speed of data is one of the, the hottest topics right now, and especially in the consumer spaces where it's got a lot of attention. As previously mentioned, it's around consumer and shopping. Uh, you know, I like the F1 example. I know there's also examples around uh, energy consumption tends to be, you know, very hot industry examples. All the companies that are doing this focus on the huge amounts of data in energy production, whether it's wind power or solar power, just the amount of data that they have to crunch to 
quickly and accurately get information around that. But, you know, the future, part of the future stuff here is how that's going to be used internally at work and, you know, a little bit different than the consumer space. But the amount of, you know, content people are creating and records for sales information and the social media things that are happening to, you know, around customers for service or support or marketing, you know, an employee now monitoring the things that are happening with their customers, say a sales rep that wants to monitor what's happening with their customers. That used to be, oh, I'd log on to my CRM system and I'd see a list of transactions that are occurring. Uh, you know, how many times did I call them last year? You know, do they have any open support tickets with us that I should be aware of to, to know if they're angry? Now, it's a real-time glimpse into, hey, what are all the things this customer is talking about out on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and blogs and forums? And you're able to just in real time, crunch so much more information to help you make accurate decisions or insightful uh, task tasks be assigned to people. Hey, Bonnie, can you please follow up with with so and so? Because mm-hmm. I see they're out there asking about our competition. Let's make sure to land that account before they go to the competition. Things like that. So anything you can speed up, make faster, provide more information at your fingertips is definitely going to help business. Very interesting. Uh, Alan, would you agree with me? And I'm, I'm just making this up as I go along here. I'm, I'm impressed with what you're saying, and I'm thinking that it's not just changing the speed at which businesses function, the speed at which we work. It's changing the speed at which we have to think. Is that a fair statement? We're thinking faster because the data is coming back to us faster, and we've got to have agile brains. Is that part of what we're seeing here in this shift in the workplace? Well, you bring up a really interesting point, something that a lot of people leave out, and you know, myself included, when we get excited and give the marketing talk about these conversations, or I hear product vendors talking about you know, big data and analytics. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's capable of you know, really, foc- really analyzing the information that's being put in front of them. And so there's a hot topic out there these days that one of the most important jobs of the next decade inside organizations is going to be data scientists. So just the fact that I return to you all this information and these huge chunks of data sets and these analytics around patterns that are developing in consumer shopping and things like that, well, not every employee knows how to read that information. So, you know, you're saying, do we think think quicker? I think in some ways people are being inundated with a lot of information they used to not have. So that's a positive. Mm-hmm. But yes. not everybody's trained on how to look at that. So just because I show you huge amounts of patterns of buying – I don't know. Is that good that it's spiking? Is it bad that it's trending this way? Uh, do we want it to be a level increase, or do we hope that it peaks and valleys over the course of the you know, statistical analysis isn't what is in everybody's background. So I do exactly. think there's opportunity for learning here, and that, that idea of data scientist is certainly something that wasn't on everyone's radar screen at work you know, just a year or two ago. Great point. I want to bring Richard Edwards from Ovum into this conversation. What do you think? Or Richard, you told me before the show, you said social is changing everything. So how does this idea of big data pushing this data at people so quickly, changing the speed at which we work, the speed at which we think, the speed at which management expects us to respond, the agility of our of our corporate or our business DNA, if you will, how is that impacted by or impacting social today? Talk to me. Well, if you think about, you know, the, the technology of in-memory databases, you know, they're optimized for dealing with complex data sets, uh, large volumes, uh, real time. Um, and that, to me, sounds very much like a typical working day when I'm having to sort of juggle uh, this, that, and the other. And increasingly, the, the overburdened knowledge worker uh, is finding him or herself in a situation where they feel a little bit like that rabbit in the headlights. You know, they're being bombarded with 
so many sources of information, uh, some of it in a raw format, some of it highly stylized in um, uh, sort of pre-governed, pre-rendered reports. And, you know, there, there appears to be a, a gulf in between those two um, different styles of uh, information presentation that leaves mm -hmm. the user sort of wanting more. They, they want to reach out and get hold of the information and shape it and look at it in their own way. Years ago, we would talk about you know, pervasive business intelligence and how pushing data out to the workforce would actually help the organization uh, do a better job because people, for, for a change, would be working on actual data rather than on hunches. And some business managers will say, well, you know, that gut feel you get for information, that's super important. That's what really sort of marks you out as a business leader or somebody with great insight. But you know what? More often than not, people who act on hunches are wrong. And so we really have hmm. to find a way uh, and a useful way at that to share and explore information with the average end user. They don't necessarily need to be uh, your business analyst, but it needs to be in a way that is suited to their role. And more increasingly, I guess, we're talking a little bit about mobile, I guess, today, the device that they are interacting with. Uh, we're starting to see a bit of a shift away from the sort of small screen uh, mobile phone format, of course, to, to larger yes. screens and, and up to tablets. So maybe there's an opportunity here to, to look at information visualization technologies to uh, change the way we, we look at doing information and knowledge work. Very, very interesting. Are we in a catch-22 here? We've got data coming at us faster. We need people to think more quickly. We need to give them the tools in which to visually see and embrace. We need to train them and give them apps so that they can incorporate that into how they work. They can give the corporation a better competitive competitive advantage, the enterprise of any size. I'm going to ask you a question before we go to break. Uh, Richard, is this changing the people who will be qualified to work for the smarter companies today? These people will need to be able to grasp the data, to act on it, to respond to it, to understand how to use all these new fast apps coming along to help them analyze it. Is this going to create a survival of the fittest in the workforce today? What do you think? I can give you a minute on this one. Go ahead. I think that's a great observation. And really, the, the knowledge worker of tomorrow really has to be an expert in filtering information. They need to sort of filter out the extraneous information in order to deal with business exceptions. And really, that is probably going to become a, a classic sort of business skill in its all right, knowing how and when to filter information and what to do with what's left. Okay, you know what? I think we're just about ready for our break. We're going to go and give ourselves a little bit of breathing room here. When we come back, we're going to continue our what I think is a very exciting, very compelling roundtable segment here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm speaking today with Alan Lepofsky, with Richard Edwards, with Kijun Lee. When we come back, I think, Kijun, we're going to talk about Recalls Plus and your trip to the White House. I'm dying to know what it was like mm -hmm. and whom you met there. I think that's going to be fun. So don't even think of touching that dial, that app, however you're listening to us. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham coming back with segment three. You won't want to miss what we're going to say next. Brad, out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at twitter hashtag s-a-p-r-a-d-i-o now let's get back to coffee break with game changers and here we are i want to thank alan lepasky who's on the panel and who's tweeting and multitasking and getting ready to run off to another meeting he says i'm discussing how big data and analytics is interesting but not everyone is trained to properly process that information. And he went to hashtag SOCBIZ Social Biz and hashtag SAP Radio. Thank you, Alan. I want to lead off this part of the roundtable with Kijan Lee. Kijan, you went to the White House. You talked about Recalls Plus. Give us just give mm-hmm. us two minutes on what was the experience like? Why is that app so important? And what does it have to do with what we're talking about today? Please. Sure. So for some context, the U.S. government, they have an initiative around open data. Today, I think many of us don't know what data is available from the government, and even if we do, it's hard to access. So what the administration is working on is making government data into a platform. So they're engaging Mm -hmm. with the private sector, startups, and tech companies to build new innovation or new apps on top of their data, and they're building uh, an ecosystem around that. And as the the U.S. CTO, Todd Park, calls it, he wants companies to jujitsu the data and make something creative out of it for the benefit of the people. So SAP, we built this app called Recalls Plus. Uh, earlier this year, we launched it. It's an app for parents with kids to track recalls on cribs, strollers, baby formula, and other baby products in a personalized way. And we leveraged data from four different government agencies. And we were invited by the White House uh, among a select group of companies to present how we're leveraging uh, their data for the good of the people. So we met with the U.S. CTO. We met with several uh, deputy secretaries of uh, the Obama administration, and it was great to learn from other companies as well what they're doing and how they're helping the American citizens with the data that the government's providing. Very it's a great interesting. All I bet. What did you? What was the White House like? Is it? Had you ever been there before? Just give me a little personal idea. Of, <laughs> did you get a? Did you get it a was tour? My first time, and um, it's the Eisenhower administration building next to the White House, mm-hmm. right? and that's where the various secretaries and vice president their offices are. And um, it was great. It was at an auditorium, the South Court Auditorium, where President Obama gives his talks and I think the press conference as well. And we're also sitting in this room, which uh, we walked in, and we had no idea really what the history was behind it. And apparently that's where uh, some major events took place decades ago. And it housed, I think, 50 secretaries of state. And so a lot of rich history behind it. 
Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to move sure. back to Alan Lepofsky. Let's get back to our social. Uh, we're talking about social. We're talking about mobile. We're talking about cloud. We're talking about big data. You mentioned to me before the show that businesses are engaging consumers. I want to flip in this direction, if you don't mind, in new and innovative ways through something called technology communities. I am not familiar with that term, technology communities. Can you tell me what it is? Uh, well, com- communities in general is sort of a new way that custom- or vendors are starting to engage with their customers in much more open and dynamic ways that personalize things a lot more. So in the old days when a brand want- or a consumer wanted to engage with their brand, they could you know, do customer support via phone. They could go to the company's website and maybe have a consumer forum. Now brands are starting to create sort of mini social networks around people that have like interests around that topic. So let's look at something specific like maybe a Nike creating a running community. So it's not specific about this shoe or this product, but they're allowing fans or champions of their brand to get together in a you know, united place online, these web communities uh, where these people can meet each other, share ideas, share running paths, things like that. And what they're doing is they're fostering a way for, you know, their current customers to generate interest for new customers or even buy more from their product. One runner might say, you know, I was using these shoes, but I went out and got this um, you know, heart rate monitor and it really helped. And then all of a sudden these people in the community are hearing that and they're like, okay, great, we're going to go buy those as well. So providing consumers or customers a way to talk to each other, not just engage with the company, but engage with other customers, is a great trend in the customer experience space. Alan, is this different from just having a company-sponsored or company-initiated hashtag on Twitter? Is this an actual community on the company website where, for example, I would go to the maker of cookware or the maker of Nike, and I would find this community on their own website under their domain, or, or could I accomplish the same community communications, if you will, on a hashtag they started on Twitter? Where, where would I go for this? Well, that's an excellent question, and what you bring up is one of the challenges and one of the benefits of this open web and and open standards that allow things to talk to each other. It's the bifurcation of information. I've got some stuff on my website. I've got some stuff on Facebook. I've got some stuff on Twitter Mm -hmm. that can complicate things. But the beauty is all these tools are starting to talk to each other today. So let's say... The, you know, the, the goal of a brand is to put this information into the place that consumers want to be, and everybody works differently. If you want to be in Twitter, you can be in Twitter. If you want to be on a forum, you can be on forum. But all these things can integrate and talk to each other. So if I'm on a forum that you know, or a community, let's not call them forums, that's kind of 1980-ish. If I'm on a community, the hashtags from Twitter can be piped into that community, and people can see the conversations that are taking place in Twitter right. even though they're not on Twitter. Or I can be on a Facebook group and I can see something that was posted on the company website, a new press release or a product announcement that can be integrated or a YouTube video channel, for example. So I'm in Facebook, but I'm looking at the company's YouTube video channel. And that level of integration allows different people to access the same information in the way that works for them. You know, at the start of this call, mobile was a big part. You know, we haven't talked about it much since, but mobile, let's say I'm a consumer that I want to access all my information from my mobile device. You should be able to do that as well. 
Very interesting. I'm going to give you a little a personal story here. I'm shopping for new cookware. Mine is so old, it's probably older than at least Kijun. Maybe not you, Alan, and maybe not Richard. <laughs> and I have a birthday coming up this weekend. I said, what do I want to give myself? Because I believe in that. Don't ask other people for gifts. Be nice to yourself. So I found something at Bed Bath & Beyond that looked fantastic. But I said, well, just because it's a name brand, it looks beautiful, and the price is outrageously good, that's not good enough for me. So I simply went on, I Googled, and I put the name of the cook. It was Cuisinart, 14-piece set, and then I said, review. I didn't get anything. I, I don't think get anything I really compelling. I wanted to go to Cuisinart, but I got reviews on different websites, including Amazon, Bed Bath & Beyond, and I got exactly what I was looking for. We are cooks for 40 years. We love our cookware. Wow, this is great. We're so happy we bought it. I got more like that, so I'm going to buy it. But I, was, I didn't go to Twitter. I didn't go to any big website. I didn't go to Facebook. I just put in the word review. So was I being... I'll go out on a limb here, Alan. Was I being a lazy consumer just by putting in a simple, basic, the name of the cookware, the size of the package, and the word review? Should I, could I, should I, would I have done more to find out a community of people who love this rather than three or four reviews? What do you think? No, I don't think you were being lazy. I think you were using the tool that provided the least friction for you. It was the tool okay. you were used to. Not everybody likes Twitter, but you know, based on your show and the things you do, for you, that's an opportunity to do it. Now, hopefully the responses could either point you to information that's just there on Twitter, or they could link you back to say, hey, I had that same conversation a month ago, and here's a link to the discussion where we talked about the pros and cons of the different Teflon coatings that go on these sets. So all of these things could be linked together and integrated together. Okay, thank you. And I want to bring Richard Edwards from Ovum into this conversation. Richard, what do you think about uh, where we go for our information and, and the concept of technology communities? Is this something you've seen in your Ovum research? Well, it certainly is, but also in my sort of tenure as a technology consultant and also as a, um, a bit of an IT veteran. Um, in, a, in addition, I sort of was thinking back just as you were describing that uh, that use case there. And, of course, you know, we've had these communities for, for a long, long time. Back in the mid-90s, we all probably uh, remember GeoCities, which I think was uh, acquired mm -hmm. by Yahoo and then wound up uh, a few years ago. Um, and so we have community um, technologies or con you know, community-centric technologies, and they just evolve and change based upon the sort of prevailing uh, ways in which we interact with those uh, communities at the time, uh, and also, you know, there are some significant introductions of new technology that, that come along, such as, you know, the sort of kind of analytics technology, I guess, which tends to drive recommendation engines. So, you know, undoubtedly, you know, the consumer space um, in many ways is seen as being very different from the enterprise space. But I see them really as, as two sides of the same coin. And, you know, one technology may well sort of find its foothold first in, in a consumer-facing world uh, and then push into the enterprise. Likewise, I think we might see some aspects of, for example, uh, identity management uh, move from the enterprise world into the consumer space. As we become sort of more tech-savvy and more IT-savvy uh, end-users and consumers. 
Okay, question for you and question, Keyshawn, I want to bring you into this. So we're going to save two minutes before the end of the break to say goodbye to Alan Lepofsky and get his predictions because he's not going to be around for the crystal ball. So, Alan, stand by. Two minutes, I'm coming to you. Uh, Richard and Kijun, survive one minute, actually. Survival of the fittest, does this apply to the consumer now? Because the consumer has all of these options for finding information that will make them smarter and let them save more money and get more of what they want in the consumer world. Uh, Kijun, what do you think? Well, not in the same way that uh, I see it for businesses, but yes, for consumers who do want the best product, and your Bed Bath example is great, um, they will want more from these companies and vendors. For example, I do comparison shopping as well, but I don't want to spend that much time going to these communities and trying to find all this information. I think what will be needed is a way for, let's say, you at Bed Bath to type in a product. You get all the relevant Mm -hmm. information about that product, right? And there's a, a recommendation engine and a way to uh, smartly find that relevant conversation from a forum, bring it to you, versus you having to go to multiple different sites. So I okay. do believe in the coming years there's more automation, you know, smarter software that will do that for the consumer. Okay, thank you. And you know what? We're going to clear the path here to put out a little red carpet, an early crystal ball for Alan Lepofsky. I'm so sorry you have to leave us early, but we're delighted you took the time and made the time to share your insights with us on this topic. So, Alan, I will do an early crystal ball question to you. Alan Lepofsky, business as we know it is changing across the board. Gaze into your crystal ball and predict one segment early how we work will look like in 2017. What do you think? It's yours. Ooh. In 2017. Okay, so that, that, that's a long way out. That's not six or, or 12 months out. That's a, that's a long you way out. You can change it, though. You can go six <laughs> no, months out if you want. 2017. It'll be more oh, fun. Oh, you're, a, you're uh, my champion. I, I definitely <laughs> think we're going to have a lot more automation helping us decide on what we want to do and the actions we take when we do it. So instead of just having the shift from, oh, manually reading things in an inbox to, you know, a lot of people think social networking is nirvana. It's not. It's the same type of processes. We've just shifted them to be more open. We haven't had a major change yet in intelligence helping me decide what things mm-hmm. I should be acting on, what yes. courses of action are available to me, and, and how I should do them. And so sort of 2017-ish time frame, I kind of picture, you know, my personal digital assistant starts off my morning. You know, if you think of all the si- science movie or sci-fi movies you see, mm-hmm. you know, my, my little hologram says, Alan, you know, you're due for the radio talk show in five minutes, <laughs> and then you need to get to your meeting. And it helps me plot my schedule and my path. But then more importantly, it says, and your boss needs answers to the following so it knows ah. what needs attention. It doesn't just say you have 500 things in your inbox. It says these are the ones you need to do. And also it doesn't just tell me what I need to do, but says, and which of the following responses based on what you used to do or you know, previously done should I give him or her? So I think a lot more automation because we have so much information coming at us, but there's, there's a lot of tools and tasks and analytics and all these things being built that will help us make sense of that information. So I really hope the future are is not just a new way of doing things, but a more helpful way of doing things. And I hear the E word in there, exciting. It'll be exciting to go to work if our companies give us those opportunities and if upcoming new companies build that into their own corporate DNA or their enterprise DNA, people will want to work for them. Alan Lepofsky, thank you so much for joining us today. We bid you an early goodbye. I hope your rest of your day is wonderful. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're going to our final break. When we come back, we'll do the crystal ball all over again for Richard Edwards from Over. 
them. And Keyshawn Lee from SAP will have a little more time for them. And I'm going to ask them whether they agree or disagree with what Alan said. Alan, bye-bye. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you. Bye. Okay, Brad out. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And here we are. Je pense donc je suis. Je suis ici, and I'm happy to be here. And this is our fourth and final segment of the show today. We're talking about changing how you work and all of the impact, the collision, the conversions of big data, in-memory database, social, mobile, all that good stuff. And we just bid goodbye to Alan Lepofsky from Constellation. And I have my two other guests here waiting, standing by to do the crystal ball with me. So let's turn to Richard Edwards from Ovum. Richard, business as we've known it is changing. Wow, is it changing across the board, every industry, every everything, every size company, every geography, every flavor of how people think think that the world is waiting for them to do business. So, Richard, I'm going to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball and predict how we work. What will that look like in 2017 or sooner or later? What time frame would you like to predict, Richard? Well, I guess the future is already here, but as the saying goes, it's not widely distributed. So uh, I guess for some it will be tomorrow, and for the rest of us it will be uh, two or three years out. But I was thinking about this as I took the train um, into town today and you know mm-hmm. I started off my day sat in front of my PC laptop which has a couple of external screens attached to it you know trying to pull together some information for a uh, uh, an open report I then sort of switched to my uh, sort of smartphone as I headed for the train and wanted to check whether or not there were any delays uh, mm-hmm. I when I sat on the train I then sort of pulled out my my tablet computer and sort of did some of that uh, business admin we all know and love, uh, and is called mm-hmm. email. But, of course, <laughs> those activities on those different devices were not really that well interconnected. I'm using a Windows PC. I have a, uh, an Android smartphone, and I have an Apple tablet. And today, I think the experience that we have across that magic triangle of devices isn't as good as it could be. So if I'm sat on my um, PC using a browser, 
um, and I have to sort of dash out of the office, it would be good to be able to pick up that browsing session um, on my mobile devices. Now, I know that there are little apps and add-ons to browsers that can do this kind of thing, but I'm just using that as an example of the sort of bigger picture. So from a, uh, a work perspective, from, for say, uh, a sales or an account manager who is you know, starting his or her day using uh, one device and then switching to another, uh, and then maybe even going and sort of sitting down at a, a terminal in a hot desk working environment, those experiences aren't particularly well joined up. Now, there are some vendors out there at the early stages of, of trying to bring that um, threaded world together for us, um, and there's going to be some competing technologies to, uh, to bring that about. And so we will need to go through a period of consolidation in the market until we get to a point where everybody can have that kind of experience that flows from one interactive work style to the next and then to the next. And the ability to exploit the capabilities that each unique device has and perhaps even where you are using those devices as well. Richard, what is it going to take to train people to know that all this is available, to know that this is the way they should be working, not just the way their companies want them to work, but the way we want to have this harmonization, if you will, of devices and of capabilities and of apps, of sources, of ready, up-to-the-moment, right-time intelligence, if you will. How do we get people, uh, let's say people over 50 today who are in the workforce and they're vital and they're smart and they have great experience, but they didn't cut their teeth on all all this good stuff. Is, is there hope for them? I'm going back to my question before, survival of the fittest. Are they going to be able to survive in this new world of I got, not I want it now, but I got it now? Are they going to have a place in the workforce in the next 10 years? Well, I, I certainly hope so, sort of being one of those people you actually mentioned there. <laughs> um, but, but you have actually touched on one of my real hobby horses, which is about uh, IT literacy. And in many ways, you know, the actual phrase itself makes you know, the, the hairs on the back of some people stand up in the wrong way. You know, it gets them a little bit worried and petrified. So, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't unusual to come across a business executive who'd never used a keyboard. Uh, and whilst mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of less common today uh, for that exact same thing, we have to think about how the keyboard was a barrier to the use of IT systems 20 years ago and how some of these new technologies can be perceived as barriers to... Um, better utilizing technology today. So I mentioned a little bit about those screen sizes earlier on. Um, maybe the increase uh, in screen size of, of the Google and the Samsung and now the, the Apple phone has something to do with the fact that those of us who are middle-aged, you know, 50-ish, haven't got particularly good eyesight. And so, you know, <laughs> You're hurting me. More screens is, <laughs> is probably one of the reasons why we have been... Uh, um, moving towards tablet computers, uh, that and the fact that I know of many um, business execs who have become very disenfranchised with the whole PC world. Uh, and it's not necessarily because of you know, what Microsoft has done or hasn't done. It's because of how complex perhaps the IT department has made that, that PC or that laptop. You know, things are switched off. You know, you can't perhaps use your USB or you're prevented from connecting to Wi-Fi networks easily because of all this worry about IT security. And so we've locked down these PC devices and somebody picks up an iPad or something similar and thinks, you know what, this is what using IT should be all about. 
it's a joy to use. And there so you I go. would sort of ask all IT managers, look at your IT systems, ask yourself the question, are these business applications a joy to use? If they're not, only the people that have to use them will use them. And we all Great. know that that isn't really the way in which we want to, uh, the direction we want to head with enterprise IT. Not at all. Great points. And Kijon Lee, I can give you two minutes for your predictions. What do you see? Can you go out to 2017 or do you want to change that time frame? What do you see? Uh, I couldn't agree with Richard more. I do believe software will be extremely simple and intuitive to use in 2017. We're already seeing this today. There's this intense focus and obsession with design from the startups and even the larger tech vendors. Right. In terms of analytics, there's this whole saying around being able to analyze data at the speed of thought as we're thinking about what to query or what to look for. But in 2017, I believe that's not going to be fast enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Alan's point earlier, there will need to be recommendations that are just automated software that you know, sifts through tons of data, pulls out the relevant insights, recommends actions to us, and helps us make decisions. And our job would be to basically have the sense and enough context to accept or reject those. Right? As I mentioned before, the clock speed of business will be extremely fast. Right? Everything from planning to making decisions today, planning is a very arduous, painful process. It takes weeks and even longer, and it's very linear. You plan, you execute, maybe you'll look back and learn from it, but I do believe that will be compressed significantly. It'll have to, given that other business will be that much faster and be able to respond and sense and respond to situations and things happening in the market. Thank you, Kijun. Great predictions, and it's time for me to do mine. I'm going to predict that next Wednesday, October 10th, we're going to be talking about how smart is BI, that's business intelligence, without a strategy. It's such a great topic. We're doing part three. The following Wednesday, October 17th, subsidiaries, the parent companies and their children or teenager companies. Also part three, another good meaty topic. October 24th, a new topic. We're going to talk about the future of education design thinking. I want to say happy anniversary to SAP Radio. This week we are one year old, 72 episodes. That's my birthday gift to me. I want to do a shout out to Patricia Harris. Thank you for making this happen a whole year ago. Can you believe it? Malcolm Kimberlin, Margot Heiligman, thank you for tweeting for us today and the Business Channel team. Couldn't do it without you. I want to thank my special guest, Alan Lepofsky, Richard Edwards and Kijon Lee. 30 seconds to go and I can do it. My last comment is, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for joining us. Visit us on www.sapgamechangersradio.com. Tell us who you are and we'll ship you your official mug. Coffee breaks taste better with an official Game Changers mug. Have a great week. Talk to you next week. I'm Bonnie. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.